Howdy, everybody. We mentioned this last week, but uh, we are going to have a Q&A, the first uh, Q&A, maybe, maybe the first, maybe not the last. Maybe we'll have them go on a go-forward basis. You never know. Live. Um, but yes, a live Q&A with me and Mindy. And we're going to answer questions that you have as an audience. We just want to get to know you a little better and want to hear your questions directly from you and spend some time with you uh, in, in our Facebook group. We already obviously uh, interact with you guys on a regular basis in the Facebook group, and it's very fun. But this will be a chance to, to talk live, I think, and, and, and get some good questions from you. Um, that live session is going to be on February 4th, which is a Thursday at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. That's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. So prime time, hopefully. You know, well, we're going big. Uh, but anyways, we hope to see you there. I think it'll be a little fun little event. And obviously, it's just, you know, all you have to do is join the Facebook group if you'd like to attend. The Facebook group is completely free to join. You can just find it at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 167, where we interview the Phi couple, Allie and Josh, and hear how they went from a net worth of negative $100,000 back to zero in just a few short years. Figuring out your why, and it has to be a big why, and you have to really care about it because when you're, whether you're paying off debt or you're investing or you're pursuing FI, it is not like a smooth sailing, easy road. There are going to be challenges or there there are going to be things that test you. And I think when that happens, remembering your why and remembering the big reason why you're pursuing this, because at the end of the day, that's what gets you through the hard times. So just figure that out and stick to it. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my ideologically pure <laughs> buy portfolio investing co-host, oh, Scott Trench. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, it is a cult, but you know, yeah, you guys will find, figure that one out later in the show. <laughs> yeah, towards the end, that gets explained a little bit better. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter where or when you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or dig your way out of $100,000 in student loan debt after getting fired, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. You said after getting fired, after losing your job, because fired means something different in our uh, vernacular here, Scott. Yeah, fair enough. Laid off, <laughs> terminated, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. But yes. I am really excited for today's episode. We are talking to Josh and Allie from The Fi Couple, and we get into several topics, including house hacking, student loan debt, and, as Scott just alluded to, sudden unemployment just as they discovered financial independence. But their story really isn't that unusual. Student loan debt exists for a lot of people, and sudden unemployment does too, especially after 2020. And while today's guest is very young, their underlying message of being conscious about your spending and investing aggressively, reducing unnecessary expenses, can be taken and applied to your financial situation regardless of your age. This was an awesome episode, one of my favorites. They're just so enthusiastic. The dynamic, I think, between them is hilarious and fun, you know, and and they just have made so much progress in such a short period of time, knocking out chunks of student loan debt, getting the house hack underway. The underlying money story, I think, is incredibly informative and relatable, I think, to a lot of folks. I think everyone who listens to this is going to learn a lot. And uh, I end up being really impressed with both Josh and Allie here. 
And it's just so, it was just amazing. So we, by the way, we found uh, Josh and Allie through the Facebook group. Uh, they're, they're really, they're like one of some of our, Josh in, in particular is one of our top contributors in our Facebook group. And we, his name just keeps popping up over and over and over again. I started following it on Instagram and uh, yeah, we just, we just like got to know him there. So if you're interested in connecting, that's a great place to go. You can follow him or you can go and um, join, join our bigger pockets money Facebook group. And Mindy, I think we have a special incentive for folks if they do join the the, the Facebook group this week. Would you like to listen to Scott and I talk live on Facebook? Would you like us to answer your questions live on Facebook? Scott and I are doing a Facebook Live on February 4th. Do you know what time that is, Scott? It's going to be at 5 p.m. Denver time, which is 7 p.m. Eastern or 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, Okay. Whatever, yeah. There's time zones, <laughs> but yeah, we're just gonna be doing a Q and A. It'll be a good chance to hang out. We'll have a couple of questions that we'll be ready to talk about, and then we're hoping that uh, you guys will chime in with some questions or thoughts. It can be about a recent episode, a money challenge, just general. Hopefully, not too personal questions, but you know, we'll we'll just hang out for a couple hours. I think it'll be really fun. Yep, we are really looking forward to talking to you, and that will be in our Facebook group. If you are not a member of our Facebook group, you can join at facebook.com/groups/bpmoney. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Allie and Josh from The Fi Couple, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much. And thank you for having us here. We are super excited to be yeah, here. Yeah, this today. is like a dream come true for us. <laughs> 
So you're you're a couple. So I'm wondering where your journey with money begins. Is it is there some like before we met backstory, or does it start basically as you became together? Yeah, no, I I think we came from kind of polarizing backgrounds in terms of like financial upbringing. I came from like a very very low income background and really really poverty and and hard circumstances and things of that nature. And that very much kind of shaped the decisions that I made kind of like in early adulthood in terms of like really poor financial spending. And I think for me, I came from a more middle-class background and I didn't really, I had the privilege to not fully think about money growing up. I knew my parents fought about money sometimes and that that was a point of contention. Um, And then I remember being in high school and my dad lost his job and that was like, you know, a really big deal. And it made it hard for my family. And my mom went back to school. She got her master's. She got like a stable state job. And that was a point in my life where I remember having that thought, like, I need security. I need something that will provide me safety. I think that's a big reason why, like, I have a school job right now with my pension and all of this. And it kind of led me on that path. Um, And I think your experiences led you on the financial path that you were on. But then we meet in college and we have these different backgrounds and we, you know, were friends for a long time and started dating. And yeah, it definitely was interesting to merge those two perspectives in one. <laughs> what college was this, just out of curiosity? Yeah. So we went to the State University of New York. It's called SUNY um, and it's called Oneonta. So it's a small state school and kind of like the southern central part of uh, upstate New York. And uh, I graduated in 2012. Allie graduated in 2013. And unbeknownst to each other, initially, we actually transferred into the same major at the same time. And conveniently, I was one of three guys in the entire major. And most of the classes, the two other guys were like sleeping. So it helped me kind of stand out. So that's how I met Allie. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So not to be confused with Sunny, I imagine, uh, at SUNY. Um, what was your terrible joke? Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> so what, what's your position like upon graduation? What, what are you guys, you guys are, are dating at that time? Do you have student loan debt? What's, what's kind of the situation at graduation there? Yeah. So, um, tons of student loan debt. Um, Josh was in a special program called the EOP program for folks that came from disadvantaged backgrounds. So you graduated with about 30,000. I did the same. My parents were willing to take on half of my student loan debt. So we both had 30,000 each combined 60. But then I did go back for my master's, which was almost 40. So um, right out of college, we weren't dating. We were friends for a long time. But about a year after I graduated, uh, we started dating. We moved in together. But even at that point, we weren't talking about money. We were making minimum payments on our loans. Money was not a big conversation in our home. Nope. And, you know, it wasn't until, so we got married in 2018. We'd started dating in 2014 and it really wasn't still until we started kind of merging our lives together, you know, moving in and having conversations of marriage that we, for the first time ever really started talking about finances and specifically, uh, frankly, like the debt that we had had. I kind of knew of debt and there was some number attached to me, but I didn't really know what that number was. And uh, when Allie went back for her master's, again, we knew it would be more debt, but we just assumed like, well, it, it'll all work out, not really knowing the true depth of the debt. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what triggered that like decision to begin thinking more about money? What was, what was maybe that inflection point for you guys? 
Honestly, like, and we talk about this a lot, you know, the year of our wedding, the first week of January, Josh had been with a long-term employer for seven years. He had poured his, you know, heart and soul into that company and was very unexpectedly laid off. So that was like, it was like this a the first week of January, 2018 for yeah. Okay. So we got married in August. So then prior to that in January, he had gotten laid off. That was like really, really scary for us. We didn't know how we were going to afford our wedding, pay our bills, all of this. And through that crisis, it kind of led us down the path of, we need to figure out our financial situation and we need to do it quickly. Yeah. And, and just to kind of backtrack a little bit. So Allie, I had been working full-time while Allie was working on her master's. And in 2017, actually, I discovered like Dave Ramsey and the Total Money Makeover. And I was kind of like, well, once you graduate, Allie, and I'm working and you're working, we're going to take the world by storm. We are going to get rid of this debt because now we're starting to be more aware of it. We, all, we had two car loans at the time too. And we are going to change our lives and live like nobody else. And so Allie graduated college. She got her first job, first career. We were both working full time for about three months. And then we were going into 2018. And back in 2017, I had also found Set for Life by Scott. And we were feeling a little burnt out on the Dave Ramsey method and feeling like there had to be a better way to achieve our goals. And so that's actually when we discovered Set for Life. We discovered bigger pockets in general and started listening to the podcast, reading the books and everything like that. And that's when like financial independence actually became like part of our vocabulary. 2018 was going to be the year that we really made a huge dent. And then I got fired. So, so wait, going back for a second, you know, big fan of that book too, um, of course. But, um, but go, going back, you discover this concept, you start reading Dave Ramsey and some other, you know, guru around finance, um, and you get this picture together. But it sounds like you have $100,000 in student loan debt and you got two car loans. Like, what's the picture that you paint? What's your net worth statement look like when you're making this transition heading into 2018? Do you, do you have that? Um, I mean, I can tell you assets wise, I had a 401k. That was about it. And then any money that we had uh, in savings, that, that, that was from, the, from an assets perspective, that was all we had. Um, but we had, I think, just under $20,000 in car notes. Then we had about $102,000 in student loans. I'm not really sure if we had credit card debt, but I, or what that number was, but we I'm sure we, we probably did. Yeah. So like we, all the bad things, I guess, relatively speaking, that you could be doing financially, we managed to get ourselves into that. Well, and congratulations. What, yeah. <laughs> what, what, well, what is, well, this is, this is why it's going to be such a good story, right? Because yeah. I, I, I don't think that we're in the same position today. Uh, yeah. that stuff. Um, I hope but, not. That would be a terrible <laughs> What's your income at this point combined? You know, do you can get a ballpark there? Well, yeah, Josh's so, income was zero. Yeah, well, before, before the before the the uh, the firing, they're getting laid off. But you know, correct. So I think Allie was working part time during her her master's program, but it was just kind of like side job and stuff like that. I was just under sixty thousand dollars a year in my full time career, working got a ton of hours, and you know that was another really big conversation for us the year before our marriage. Was I was working probably 70, 80 hours a week. And we were both saying like, well, when we get married, like we want to spend time together. And if, if we don't make a change, nothing will change. And so that's really when the conversation started to shift in terms of me maybe making a career change, which 
originally I was planning to make a career change and then it was made for me. And he was making like 60,000, right? But he was making it at a not-for-profit where there was very little room for growth or advancement or control over your own salary. So that company where he poured so much time and energy and yeah, he was doing valuable work, but it felt kind of like tough because you don't have so much control over your financial state. It's dictated by someone else, you know? It was a small startup. Yeah. And and what were you kind of, what was your plan going into 2018? What were you, you were planning both to work, I imagine. And what, what were you projecting your income to be that year? before being laid off in January. So 2018, you were probably pretty close to 60 and I had started my school job um, in a small rural school district making about 45. So just over a hundred thousand and we could not be more excited because again, like you talk about synergies, we didn't feel like we had a blueprint. Then we get set for life and set for life came into our life right around like April or May. Allie was getting ready to graduate from her master's around April and May. And I'm like, oh my God, like we have it. We, we will have the income. We will have the blueprint. This is going to be, everything is going to work out. And this is the process by which we're going to do that. And so she graduated, she starts working in like September and wouldn't you know it, we're making this money. We are implementing strategies in terms of like saving money, cutting out costs, uh, so on and so forth. And we had we had like a glimpse of proof of concept of this can work as long as we do these simple steps. And so 2018 was going to be like that just on steroids. And we were going to completely change our life and, you know, march down the path towards early financial independence. So what happens? What happens after January? How does that how do things change from there? Yeah. So unexpectedly laid off um, and everything shifted very quickly because we went back to a single income household. And so what's nice though, is because we knew what we wanted to do and we had had a lot of conversations about figuring out kind of like what our why was, like what are our values? It wasn't a question of if we would still do that, it would just be a matter of maybe like a different timeline. And so, like I said, I had started kind of some entrepreneurial endeavors prior to getting fired. Um, and so all me getting fired was, was just kind of a kick in the pants to really do that. And so I started pushing more so into doing that full time while Allie was still working. But also Josh had gotten fired and it was such a shock. He went immediately out into the workforce and he secured a job making half his salary. He went from making close to 60 to like 30, 35. Um, and he's like, I need a job. I need money. You know, that automatic fear response. Of course, we need to pay our bills. But then a few months later, it was like, wait, I'm actually going to take a risk and go out on my own and be an entrepreneur and develop my own business because we can't afford not to. Because if I'm making this salary compared to what we were, we have all of this debt, I need to take that risk to achieve our goals. And it was around that same time that we also were considering house hacking and we started looking at real estate so that we could radically reduce our cost of living as well. So it kind of was a nice a nice synergy there with some of the changes we made. You know, and one thing I'll say too is I went from 65, 70 hours a week to 30 to 35. So I all of a sudden I had a lot more time on my hands. And so instead of while I wasn't making as much as much money, I got the Uber, you know, side hustle. So if I wasn't working in that job, I was driving for Uber. And if I wasn't traveling with people in the car, and even sometimes when I was traveling with people on the car, 
I literally had like bigger pockets podcast going. I had like choose FI podcast going and I was listening and I was studying and I was studying because I was like, this time capsule I'm in right now will not last. I don't want to get to the end of it and not be equipped with the knowledge and know-how to execute the plan that we had started in 2017. So I was like, I can't control necessarily my income fully right now, but I can control my knowledge. And so that was the lever that I tried to pull us. So I just poured into all things bigger pockets, Facebook, the website, podcast, books, you name it. I just went all in because how, I knew how much are we paying you for this episode again? <laughs> Oh my God. No. I literally, I mean, I joke with people. Like, I went to like Bigger Pockets University in my spare time. You know, like, I had like professors like Jensen and and Trench and Dorkin and Turner and all the adjunct professors like Chad Carson and JL Collins, Paula Pant, Andy Hill, you name it. Like, I was just completely, completely obsessed. No, it was actually, though, like, kind of a problem. Like, it would get to the point where, like, I would be like, how many podcasts did you listen today? And he's like seven because yeah. he drove a lot for his all the work. Time. And I'd be like, that's too much. You like, cause then he's like, I'm listening to all these podcasts and all these people making these incredible moves and we haven't bought our first deal. And his level is like up yeah. to here, you know, like through the roof. I'm like, you need to chill. Maybe we limit it to like, like three a day. Let's cut back. <laughs> um, but that's like real conversations we yeah. had to have. Like, let's have some boundaries. To this. It, it felt like it, it was like the one, thing that I could control, you know? And again, like there was so much in my real life that I felt like I wasn't really happy with. I can't control. I was surrounding myself like in my head with all the people that were telling me like, this can happen. And when everything happened in January of 2018, it kind of dampened our dreams a little bit, but like bigger pockets definitely like great breathed, like light into that. And I was like, no, like we can do this. And this is, and these people are telling us we can, this is how we're going to do it. And now we're here. Love it. Okay. So looking back to pre-January 2018, did you have any indication that this was coming? Like, like if you look back now, could you see, (laughs) you know, oh, there were some indicators that the company wasn't doing very well or that they didn't, you know, like what I was doing or that they were going in a completely different direction. Or were you completely blindsided? Because I've been fired one time and looking back, I'm like, why didn't they fire me sooner? I was a terrible employee. So full disclosure, I am Mindy Jensen in that regard. I would have (laughs) fired me a lot longer or sooner (laughs) or whatever before that because so I'm I'm starting to You were listening li- to podcasts at work. Yeah, no, well no. Yes, actually. Oh. But I'm but I'm listening to podcasts of like very successful entrepreneurs and business owners. I'm hearing what they're saying. And then in my own respective career, I'm saying like, my gosh, how, why are we running the organization we're running this way? And I became very vocal. And I probably pushed the envelope a little bit. But like, also like full disclosure, the Christmas party two or three weeks prior to me getting fired, I mean, they were announcing that I was probably up for a big promotion, that I was doing wonderful things. And so I could not, in some respects, I could not have been more blindsided, but in hindsight now, two or so years removed, yeah, I would have canned me a lot sooner because I was very noisy. Hmm. That's weird though, that they would announce a big promotion for you (laughs) in... Christmas, and then, oh, by the way, you're gone. 
Yeah. But there were, there were definitely some weird dynamics. And I think too, you know, um, Josh is a really big out of the box thinker. And something that I love about Josh is that he has really big, crazy, wild dreams and goals. And we are now creating those together. But when you're working at a tiny little non-for-profit that's Medicaid funded and you have to live in a little red box because that's what the state tells you to do, big, wild, crazy dreams are not really what you can do. And that's not a reality. So I think it probably just wasn't a good fit. But something that I always like to say, like, especially this year, we have a lot of friends that have lost their jobs this year. And I tell them like Josh getting laid off was single-handedly one of the best things that ever happened to us in our lives because it offered um, perspective. It offered an opportunity to build a life that we want and live more aligned to our values and our, our dreams. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, let me ask you this about that situation as well. And then we'll, then we'll move on if you're listening, I promise and get to the fun start fair. But um, you had said you were executing your plan prior to getting fired if you hadn't been executing your plan, what would have been different about that situation? You know, was your spending, for example, lower than it would have been without having put a plan in place? Yeah. Um, I don't know from a financial perspective. I don't know if it necessarily, I think the biggest thing, truth be told, Scott, that like from like an implementation of plan was acquiring and equipping myself with knowledge and know-how because, so I got, you know, when I got, after I got laid off, Yes, I went and got another job because ultimately in nine months or eight months, we were getting married. And I was like, we have a wedding to pay for. But a day or two after that, I also launched my own consulting business. And so I was already kind of laying the foundation for eventually working for myself. And again, in terms of like blessings in disguise, me getting fired was the kind of the kick in the pants that kind of kicked me from the nest. And it was kind of like a sink or swim kind of scenario. And that's now in retrospect kind of worked out really nicely. But as far as the financial decisions that we were making, again, like, you know, if there's like, you know, 70% of your income is housing, food, and transportation. At that time, we had known of Set for Life, but we couldn't, or at least we didn't feel like we could really make a big change in the 70%. So we were really just focused on the 20%. So that, which was helping, but it wasn't making big leaps or bounds. Got it. Well, let's get into the the fun part here. What happens in the in the rest of 2018? How does the how do things evolve from there? Yeah, so um, August 2018, we get married. We go on a three day mini moon, and then we got back and we scraped together every literal dollar that we had to buy our first duplex. And we had started looking for properties prior to our wedding, like in the spring and the summer. And we were putting in offers left and right. They kept getting rejected. We used a 5% conventional loan on our first property in my name alone. And we were competing against buyers out of state that had way more money than us, cash offers, $50,000 over asking. Josh and Allie were just not competitive buyers. So uh, very luckily, and maybe not luck, but just kind of persistence, um, our realtor had happened upon a couple that was owner-occupying a duplex, and they were looking to sell their property. They were going to be having their second baby. They didn't want to be landlords anymore. So we were able to get this duplex off market, which is honestly a huge, huge reason why we were able to secure it. Another thing regarding that story is that, you know, they weren't able to do a traditional closing where it's like, you know, maybe a 45 day closing window. They needed a bit more time so that they could find their own home. So we were willing to like 
find a solution for that. We're like, oh, you need extra time. We'll wait as long as you want, as long as you agree to sell this house to us. So um, finding a creative way to make a compromise. Were you guys both on the same page about the house hacking? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, no. I'll tell you what. I'm so glad you asked that question. So you want to talk about like a trial by fire, like leading up to our marriage. Um, I got fired in no way, shape or form did that deter like Allie, we are house hacking this year. Things look a lot different and I get that. But the kicker is if we house hack, it'll actually make all of this that much more manageable. And so our initial conversations were a lot different because I was so heavily focused on the numbers of the deal. I was, again, I was like, well, you know, Brandon Turner says like no one money, no one low money down. And and when David Green says, if we just burn the deal, then like we will get all of our money back out. So I was taking Allie to the absolute worst possible places because I was like the Excel seat says the cash flow and the Baker Pockets money calculator says the cash flow is going to be massive. So this is what we have to do. And Allie, what are you hearing when he's saying this? <laughs> Like, why am I getting married to this person? (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. I love Josh. Um, But the reality was that we were going to properties that were in super rough areas. I was like, I'm not going to feel safe here. Am I actually going to ruin my life right now? I've never imagined being a landlord or owning real estate. I've been in my safe little secure box and I don't know if I'm ready to deviate from it. And it just, it felt like this wild, crazy thing because I wasn't consuming eight hours of podcasts a day. So it it hadn't been normalized for me yet. And we actually, and we haven't shared this on a podcast, but it's a funny story. Um, We were under contract for a house prior to our wedding. We did actually get one under contract and it was definitely out of our budget. We had no business looking at it. So like, this is the home that we were considering. And very quickly, it was like, you know what, this might not be a good fit. The numbers ended up not working out and we got out of it. But like, that was what we were looking at. So in my brain, I'm like, I am sacrificing my quality of life by house hacking. Like there's no way about it. Like my quality of life is going to go down the hill, which is funny because the house hack that we ended up getting was so lovely. Yeah. And I have to say too, like, so again, like, because like, Bigger Pockets podcast kind of became like my full-time job. And I was saying things to Allie, but I wasn't getting the response that I was really hoping for. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to change my message somehow so I get the result, like the results that I want. And um, I remember I, you guys <laughs> actually you guys had Andy Hill and Andy Hill one time like was sharing the same story. Uh, of what how he proposed financial independence to his wife Nicole and she didn't want anything to do with it because he wasn't speaking her language. And I found that once I learned not to be so driven by like the Excel sheet and the numbers and the calculators and, you know, podcasts, and it was, I was able to show Allie that the things that she really, really loved the most and wanted to do more of, but that we frankly couldn't because of our circumstances, by doing this thing called house hacking, and pursuing these th- this thing called financial freedom, it would allow us to have a much better chance of doing more of that. And once I changed my message and I was more reflective or respective of Allie's values in terms of like where she would feel comfortable living if we were going to pull it off, after that, everything changed. 
Okay, Heading I've Mindy got a has lot a number of comments. Of comments. Yeah. I have a lot of comments. Uh, first of all, I want to address the most recent thing that you said, which was the speak her language. Yeah. I believe that Scott and I, way back on episode uh, 157, were talking about having a money date with your partner who is maybe not on the same financial plane that you are. And absolutely, that's the top tip is to speak their language. Because you can't convince somebody to do something they don't want to do when they like super don't want to do it. And it's like living with somebody else or, you know, doing this, living in a very rough neighborhood. When I first met Scott, he was living in a neighborhood that I was fine to visit during the day, but would not have wor- would not have visited him at night unless he would walk me to my car. Scott's a big I, I dude. I didn't have a spouse to convince at the, the time. Scott's you know? a so- big dude. He can walk around that neighborhood. And now the neighborhood has changed a lot and it's no longer as rough and frightening as it was when he lived there originally. But- that's, you know, that that's a trade-off. Scott didn't feel unsafe there. But again, Scott's slightly larger than I am. Um, and he's been playing rugby forever. He's like, whew, if you get in a fight with Scott, you're not going to win. This is like compliment Scott day. All right. <laughs> it's not even your birthday. <laughs> um, and then back to the very beginning where you said that you had to uh, work with them on their closing timeline because they had a slightly different timeline than a normal timeline. I'm a real estate agent and I have been finding deals for people that are different than what everybody else is finding. It's If it's a lazy agent who decided that they're not going to make it easy to schedule a showing, There's a lot of other agents who are like, I don't have time for this. I'm going to go schedule all the showings that are easy to schedule. I will call you up and keep calling because those agents that make it tough to schedule never seem to answer their phone either. I'll keep calling because I want to get my people into your house and buy it. Being persistent, being creative. So what if you have to go rent an apartment for an extra month or, you know, live in a hotel for another weekend? That's okay if you can get a deal, especially in this market where there are no deals to be had. Yeah, Scott I just want to chime in there on the on the artificial timeline. Like so many people are buying their house because like, oh, my lease is expiring and I need to buy a house right now. I mean, it's like, no, you're going to rush your three or four or $500,000 decision in order to avoid your artificial deadline of your lease. Just pay like extra hundred bucks a month or 200 bucks a month to go month to month with your landlord. Like any landlord is going to take that uh, and, and postpone that turnover. Um, in a general sense, especially at for, for a incremental fee, of course. But don't you know that's four hundred bucks, and you have that much better odds at making the four hundred thousand dollar decision that much better. That might be that might be a ten or twenty or fifty thousand dollar difference to your wealth. Uh, if, you know, even though it it's a time decay, I, I, I'm getting going on this, but I, I support Mindy's points. <laughs> Honestly, though, I love what you guys are saying because something that has been really big for us, like kind of like a mantra is like, we have to get creative here and we have to find innovative ways to reach our goals. Because when we looked at our picture in the beginning, it's like, we're $100,000 in the hole. We have two car loans. We have credit card debt. We have all of these perceived obstacles. And we were like, we don't have any breaks. Like, I wish we had someone that would swoop in and pay our debt or someone that would help it. Like, it's us and we have to change our position. So we felt like we were in a position where we had to get very, very creative to find ways to change our circumstance. And if the sellers needed more time, if whatever the situation was, like we were willing to do it because we knew how badly we needed this. So let me ask you this as well. You're you're $100,000 in student loan debt. Why are you choosing to house hack rather than pay that off? 
Yeah, I'm no. supportive, by the way. I just want to, <laughs> I, want to, I want to hear from you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I by probably like middle to end of 2018, kind of leading up to the wedding, my income was pretty stable overall. So we were able to pay bills and everything like that. But still, like we were living in a one bedroom, one bath luxury uh, apartment with a pool and everything like that. And when we started understanding how to budget and actually looking down, looking at the numbers, which again, like we really hadn't done for most of our relationship until leading up to our marriage, $1,200 a month in rent was hands down our biggest line item. I was like trying to pull together some type of entrepreneurial endeavor and Allie being in the schools, I mean, you know, we anticipated the the year after our wedding, maybe she'd get a pay bump of, you know, maybe two or 3%, but we knew that our incomes probably wouldn't dramatically change in the next, you know, six to 12, maybe 18 months. So instead of focusing heavily on the income front, we said, well, if we can lop off, you know, our largest expense, namely housing, and we had every intention, once we understood the cost, the true cost of car ownership, we knew we were getting rid of a car too. That's why we decided to go into house hacking because it was it was a way for us to put more money after tax back in our pockets, more than we probably ever could have done just by working more. But honestly, too, like our income was just covering our expenses. So in terms of like, why don't you just pay off your loans? We didn't have a lot of capital to just pay off our loans. We Our margins were very skinny every month. We weren't saving very well. So it would have been a struggle in order to do that. So that's why through house hacking, our finances, our margins were a little wider. So we were able to make better changes. Well, how'd you get the cash to pay the the, to, to buy the house hack in the first place? Like very, very modest saving. And every single dollar that we got for our wedding as a gift, we like lumped in and used it for the down payment. So literally, thank you everyone that attended our wedding because you helped us buy our first house <laughs> hack. <laughs> okay, I have a question. I have, and this is for both Josh and Allie and Scott, because I know there's people who are listening who are in the same position where their housing is their big ex- expense they don't have a lot of money to buy a house. They know that it's a better option, but they also have this debt and I need to pay off my debt first. So what's a good way to look at this? Like Craig Kurlop on episode 35 yep. talked about how he had $80,000 in student loan debt and he chose to pay the bare minimums and bought a house hack and then bought another house hack and then bought another house hack. And then he's like, here's a bunch of cash. I'm just going to pay off my loans now. And it was a great story, but... I can hear a lot of people saying, well, you can't invest until you pay down your debt. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I'll be honest with you, like my first couple of mentors were like Scott and Craig. So I had like two young single guys. And and so how I, because I've kind of been the driver to some extent, and then now we're kind of both working at twofold was like, well, Scott did this. Okay. And Craig did that. And so as far as the balancing act between like paying off debt versus investing for us, we were super jazzed about the idea of becoming debt free. And that kind of was stemmed back when, you know, we started in like the Dave Ramsey school of thought. But then the more that we thought about it, we were like, well, we also have a really aggressive timeline. Like we have every ambition of being financially free within our early to mid thirties. And, you know, we wanted to cross that debt-free finish line with some assets in our back pockets. So that way we had some net worth, liquidity, and cash flow versus like, I've also spoken with a ton of people who are older, more experienced, 
And they just were so focused on paying off that debt. And when I asked them and they say, you know, I probably could have took a little bit more time to pay that off, especially during like bull markets. I could have bought more real estate. I could have bought more index funds. I'm glad I'm debt-free, but I wish I had taken more of a balanced approach. No, I, I think that's great. And I think that, you know, one of the things about house hacking is you put down a low down payment. What'd you put down in your house hack? 5% down. What was that? Like 10, 10, 20 grand? So like all in, I think with closing costs included, we were around that 16,000 mark. Okay, great. So you're putting, let's say, let's say it's a fifteen thousand dollar down payment, and that you know that's five percent. So you're looking at a three hundred thousand dollar property in that case. You know, you, if that property appreciates by three percent, that's it's going from three hundred thousand to three hundred nine thousand. That's nine thousand divided by fifteen thousand, right? That's a sixty percent ROI on your money, right? Because you're using extreme leverage. That's what house hacking is, or why house hacking is attractive, because it would have taken you. God knows how long to save up $60,000 in cash to put down 20%, right? So the house hack, by definition, for most people is going to be an extraordinarily highly leveraged investment. And with that, if you even get average appreciation or loan pay down, you're going to get a ridiculous ROI. Now, that can work on the downside too. But every homeowner who's, doing a, who's buying a home with a low down payment loan is taking that same risk, and I'd argue a much bigger risk because they don't have any tenants to help offset the rent. So for me, the ROI of a house hack is 60% if you get a 3% appreciation, plus the loan amortization that you're getting, plus whatever the difference in cash outlay that you're getting from uh, what you were paying in rent to what you're now paying net on your mortgage, utilities, and all that kind of stuff after rent. And so the ROI can easily be 100, 150, 200, 250% in the first year or two. And so that is just a, a gigantic return. And there's no way your interest rate on your student loan debt is coming close to that. Now, obviously, that's discounting the fact that you can to have a, a down year. But on average, the average year at 3% appreciation, you know, which is lower than the average, you're going to see that absurdity of a return only accessible in that first time to the house hacker. And by the way, you can't just repeat that. You can repeat this a few times, but once you get past five, six hundred, I'm getting going on this five, six hundred thousand dollars in net worth. Okay, getting a getting a two hundred percent return on ten grand is not that interesting anymore. It's extremely interesting on your first ten grand, and a huge catalyst to wealth. So, anyways, my, my rant's over. But that that's why I think the, the the math and the 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 qualitative and quantitative evidence to me indicates that it's a really good move for someone in that because otherwise you're spending the next six years paying off your debt and then another year or two coming up with a down payment on a on a property. I think it, it's a risk. But I think that the odds are going to favor that risk 14 years out of 15, maybe 29 years out of 30. I don't know. Well, let's look at the numbers on this house hack. So you were paying $1,200 a month in rent, which I don't know what that's like in your neck of the woods, but that's like inexpensive, I'll say, in my neck of the woods. Yeah. So $1,200 was, um, I think it was expensive for what we were getting, but it honestly was pretty average for like a one bedroom, one bath, like luxury situation apartment. So we were paying about 1200 with our first house hack, um, moving in, it had a long-term tenant. The rent was under market and we were paying about $600 a month. So right there moving in, we cut our cost of living in half, which was huge. Can you, can you walk us through the numbers? Like you, you said you put down 16 grand. What was the purchase price? I, yeah, I, per, yeah. So it was 158,000 
and we got a three thousand dollars seller. Yeah, people. I was off by a back uh, down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, and that's the thing too, right? Is just on like a sidebar. A lot of times, I think where people get in trouble is they they do the math and they say, okay, well, if the property costs X, and I put a five percent down, then my out of pocket is five percent times uh, you know the purchase price. They don't understand just how many how much goes into closing costs, mm-hmm. and all in all, I mean, probably almost half of our total you know down payment was closing costs. Yeah, I so, think our actual down payment was closer to like seven or eight thousand, yeah. and the remainder was closing costs. Correct. So, um, but anyway, I should let you guys go before I went on my rant. Sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> so it's all right. No, it's uh, so one hundred and fifty-eight thousand five percent down. We got a three thousand dollars seller concession. And to help with actually help with some of the closing costs, um, and so the total PITI ended up being one thousand three hundred and eighty-four dollars a month. Awesome! And then what were you getting for rent? Uh, it was seven twenty-five, which again we knew that it was under market, but at the same time, as first-time landlords, a like we were just super excited, honestly, because. What started off as like a crazy idea, probably like 18 months prior, it now became real. And all of a sudden I was like, "This, I know this is going to change our life. I don't know exactly how and the numbers and so on and so forth. And never could have predicted like where we are today. But I was like, this is, this is what changes our life because this is what Bigger Pockets says changes your life. But then um, like a year after we moved in, our tenant ended up moving. He got married. He wanted to move in with his wife. And we fixed up the apartment a little bit and we raised rent to nine twenty-five. Nine twenty-five. Yeah. Um, so now our cost of living from twelve hundred, six hundred. Now we're kind of in like that four hundred range. So again, that that was big for us. You know, and something I would point out too, right? To kind of go back to what you were saying is like, so Allie and I are both working our jobs, doing our best to kind of maximize our income where we could. But between, you know, going from like twelve hundred dollars a month just drawing down to, uh, we were paying a little over $650 a month, right? So that was $6,500 a year in after-tax income back in our pockets. Mm -hmm. And to me, like that was a no-brainer. And I was like, and I knew we had in the back pocket, like we could probably get another $175 a month upstairs, you know, eventually when the person moved out and we updated the unit. But just that amount of after-tax savings was a huge, you know, pay bump for us, especially as someone who was just trying to start their, their uh, business. So we got the spreadsheet from Josh. Allie, what, what, what was your take on the situation from moving in with the house hack? Was it better or worse about, about what you expected? So initially definitely expected that my quality of life was just going to go down the drain at this point. I had very low expectations, but uh, was very pleasantly surprised. And I think this was the point, especially when we first saw the property, that's when like he started to get the buy-in from me and I was more on board, like, wow, this is really cool. This is powerful. I mean, this property was lovely. Three bedrooms, one bathroom. We had a big fenced in backyard and a garage and a driveway, and it was way nicer than our luxury apartment we were paying $1,200 for. So that was the cool thing. And often I think there's a misnomer. Like when we tell people that we're landlords and we house hack, I think there's an automatic thought of like, well, you must not be living in a nice situation. So I feel like it's important to like kind of dispel that myth because that does not have to be your reality at all. And you could still save a lot of money. And, And something for us too, like we're always trying to like find the happy medium. So 
we got the duplex and I was super excited to have a duplex, but instantly I said, well, we're going to move into the smaller unit, not the bigger unit. And we're going to get a roommate because we're as newlyweds, because like, I mean, if Craig is living behind the curtain, Scott's got a roommate. <laughs> Your expression is just amazing. Literally, like literally, this is what we have to do. Why? Because we have to live for free or it's a failure, right? Because you have to live for free from house hacking. And once I kind of stepped back from that a little bit. And when I, I stepped back, he means his wife was like, uh, no, that's yeah. not happening. <laughs> and, I, and I realized that it's okay, especially on your first deal. And, and you guys talk about this all the time. Like your first deal doesn't make you rich. And your first deal is really about just getting in the game. And once I kind of made peace with that, and then it kind of settled into it, I was like, you know what? Like I kind of night. It's nice having this extra space. We're still saving a ton of money. My wife is super happy. Um, and like we're in, like we're doing it. And so like, I, I, I didn't live behind the curtain. We didn't get the crazy extra roommate. Although I proposed it a bunch of times, we didn't rent out the garage. We didn't do necessarily anything like super exotic. Just a little dig at Craig Curlop, huh? With the, the behind the curtain. <laughs> and Oof. you, well, I guess no, you yeah. didn't ask your wife to have a roommate. Yeah. No. Never mind. But at the but at the time we were buying, Scott wasn't married and he had a roommate, right? So like yeah. if Scott lived for free, we have to live for free. But anyways, <laughs> once I kind of got over that and realized like we are still winning, um, things really started to evolve from there. So what did winning look like? What happens to your financial position as we move out from this this house hack and closer to today? Don't answer his question because I got one that's more relevant and then you can answer his question. Uh, first of all, Scott was living for free because he was living for free in a neighborhood that your wife would not have felt safe in Absolutely. and you would not have lived in this neighborhood. No. Uh, number two, happy wife, happy life. Yeah. Write that, etch that in a rock. And uh, Scott, do you ask your wife if she wants to have a roommate now? Uh, I, have, I have not asked her that question. <laughs> Come and ask her tonight and see what she says. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, I'll, I'll I'll try that, Mindy. You know, after after you know, we'll make sure that she's in a really good mood before we have that conversation. And then I want to point out that you said that if you didn't live for free, you were a failure, and you are one hundred percent wrong in your thinking. And everybody listening, I want you to know that Josh is a hundred percent wrong in that thought because you reduced your expenses. You cut your living expenses in half. That's a win. If you cut your living expenses by a third, that's a win. Cutting your living expenses and then doing something productive with that money is a win. But cutting your- Let me just say, they might be living for free after it's all said and done, after we factor in the appreciation impact and the loan amortization impact and those types of things. They might, yes, but might. you can't pay your mortgage payment with appreciation and loan That's true. amortization. Your cash, your cash outlays for living weren't zero. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but you cut it back. You consciously made a decision that bettered your financial situation and that is a win. So stop with the whole, I'm a failure. You're not a failure. Yeah. And for us, it was really finding that balance, but like we're still making smart financial choices, but we're not super sacrificing our quality of life. I think if we were in a different phase of life, maybe we would have been more willing to sacrifice our quality of life. If Josh wasn't married to me, he would have been way more willing to sacrifice his quality of life. But really? we, yeah, for sure. But we, you know, we were where we were. And then fast forward because of that situation and house hacking it made us way more in tune with our finances, way more motivated to make that progress. So in that span from 2018 to present, 
We've paid off more than $50,000 in student loans. We, we, yeah, which was, that's amazing. We still have 50,000 more to go. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you something about that because in my experience, my, my journey was not just house hacking. House hacking is one component of the financial journey and other things are happening too. Incomes are going up. Other expenses might be getting paid off. What, can you give us the other parts of the financial picture? Because there's no way your 6,000 bucks from the house hack paid off helped you get to 50,000. There's other yeah. things at play here. I, Absolutely. I imagine. Yeah. Great, great question. And, and something you said earlier that I really liked was like, there's like the, there's the quantitative, but then there's the qualitative truth. So again, so in 2018, so I, I got laid off, I took a job, but within a matter of weeks, I was like, this isn't going to last. And then once I got my first in my my personal business, once I got my first client, that was my first taste of making money truly for myself on my own terms. And it's kind of like getting that first rent payment. And I was hooked. So I was like, okay, I have proof of concept. Now I just need to do this more. So I spent most of 2018. And there's a lot of cool synergies. Like we're ramping up closer to the marriage. My business is really starting to pick up steam. We're learning real estate. I'm still listening to a ton of, ton of podcasts. And then it all kind of culminates a little bit in terms of we get that house hack. My business is now at a point where I'm making a comparable income to what I was making in my previous full-time career. Sorry, what, what, what time period are we at here? Like you're, you're feeling you're making the same amount annualized as you were in your career. When specifically was that? Yeah. So we're in like January of 2019. Yeah. So by the okay. end of 2018, January 2019. So I'm now, ma- I'm back. I'm kind of, my income is kind of whole, if you will. Um, our, our, our cost of living has gone down quite a bit. We've, we've got rid of the car debt. We got rid of, um, uh, or my income is back up. Our housing is down a lot lower. I think you had started, you, she had taken a higher paying job. I applied for a different school job where I, you know, got like a $6,000 pay raise. Um, so and- that was, that was Awesome too. And so by doing all of this, our confidence to start taking bolder chances on a higher income, because at that point, again, we had just been focused on how can we cut our cost of living? And by doing so, especially as a full-time entrepreneur, it gave me so much more confidence to grow my business organically versus just taking every opportunity that came at me. So I think like both of our salaries went up, our cost of living went down and getting rid of the two car payments, like that was big too. And that was really by chance. Um, we joke that we crash hacked our way out of car debt, which is like disclaimer: don't do this. But um, and I swear we're not bad drivers. Sounds but like Craig again. Yeah. I know that's what I was thinking. <laughs> we had um, I had gotten rear-ended on my well, no. So Josh gets fired in 2018. A week later, he got in a car accident and totaled his car. So what did we do? We went out and got another car loan for $14,000, which was like a splurge for us. Um, And then that same car, I got rear-ended on my way to work. And it was that pivotal moment. We're in our house hack at this point. We have- This is early 2019 when this- This is early 2019, right? So like we're in our house hack, we're making financial decisions. I'm like, well, I'm going to go back out and get that nice Volkswagen Passat, right, Josh? Because I love that car. And he's like, wrong. 
we're going to get a used Toyota Corolla and pay for it in cash. Yep. And I think I cried my way home from the car dealership that day. <laughs> it was like, it was like missing a chunk off the bumper and it had like a cigarette burn in the seat, but you know what? It was $7,000 and it had like 70,000 miles and it was a solid car. And Josh is like, Allie, millionaires drive this car. This is the car we need. <laughs> and it wasn't a year or it wasn't a new Toyota Corolla. Right. Scott Trent. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and so I literally, I felt so excited. We were, it was polarizing in the car ride home because I was like, we have a Toyota Corolla and we have a house hack. We are literally so we're set for life. Like we were doing it. Yeah, I know. Like we, like we are literally checking the boxes. She, I swear to God, she was crying, but I was literally just replaying all the podcasts in my head. I was like, I was like, this is what they do. We are doing it. We are going to, we're going to do it all, Al. And I mean, she was not feeling ex- yeah, excited but, about but it. But now I can laugh about it. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for my reliable, safe vehicle. And at the end of the day, it's a car and it gets me from point A yep. to point B. And it's like not having a car payment is huge. Yeah. So when it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. 
customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I want to focus on Allie for a minute because I know there are people who are listening right now who are in this position. They identify with Josh. Oh, I want to do this, but my wife says no. (laughs) What was it that he said that got you to think, okay, maybe I could do this? Was it, did you actually have to see the duplex and know that it wasn't like a super dump? No, or... they, were under con- they were under contract on the horrible one that she would have hated. The drug <laughs> right? house. So there's yeah. something else going on here, right? Well, well, yeah, I think it's a great question, Mindy. I think that it is thinking about your why and the bigger picture. And we talk about this a lot because for me, like, did I want to drive a beat up Toyota Corolla or move into a yucky duplex? I didn't want to do either. But what kept driving me was, if I don't do this, what is my life going to look like? It's not a life I want. So it was like, I know I have to make hard decisions because I want more time with the people that I love. I don't necessarily want to work my nine to five for the next 30 years. And it was like, these are the breaks and I have to make them for myself. So like the reality of our situation was my driving force. And sometimes it was easy to blame it on Josh, like Josh, you're ruining my life. You're forcing me to make these choices. Yeah. Like I definitely said that I'm not going to lie to you, but, but like the reality is, and he would always say this, he's like, Allie, it's not me. It's our debt. It's our financial situation. That's what's doing it. So we kind of created like a common enemy and cause of our debt in our financial position. And we worked together as a team. And once we had that perspective, um, you know, we, we accelerated our path to our goals. Yeah, it isn't Ellie against Josh. It's Ellie no. and Josh against the world. Yes. Yeah. So, so, okay. So when, what's different? Like you, oh, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be terrible. I don't want to drive this ugly car. How has your life, uh, let's see, how do I want to phrase this question? I'm doing it. I've got the Corolla and the house hack. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I felt like a millionaire at that point. I couldn't have been happier. We're, we're, we're posting that on Instagram. That's <laughs> And I think too, like something to think about, and this is important when we think about consumer purchases, like my time versus my money. 
And it is nice to have nice things, but we have to think about how much of our time we spend to pay off those things. So he's like, yeah, you can get that nice $20,000 car and you're going to like driving it for the first three months. And that's great, but you're also going to be paying it off for the next six years. And that's money we could have, you know, spent to buy our freedom. You know, and a book that I think was really transformative. So like, again, every time I would come to Allie with a new concept and I didn't get a response, I'd say like, back to the drawing board, Josh. So I would go back to the drawing board and I would read, I would listen. And Vicki Robbins, Your Money or Your Life really was transformative for me because, I mean, Allie, I vividly remember we were sitting in the parking lot in our car in the heated seats at the time. Um, and we both sat there and we said, okay, what are the things that we value the most? What makes us happy? What's the perfect day? What do we love? And we literally line by line started writing those things. And then it was, how much time are we, do we have right now based on our lifestyle, based on our circumstances to do those things? And it was pretty minuscule. And honestly, for us both, the biggest one was time with family, whether it be with our parents, aging grandparents, and time together. And so for me, where, where my approach really shifted was, okay, here's the things that Ali values the most, loves the most. This is how house hacking, driving the Corolla, 50% savings rate, index funds, all like the nitty gritty stuff of like FI. These are bridges that will get us to where we really want to be instead of, but I was at the time, I was just focused on building bridges. Love it. Well, well, I want to get back to the, the how and the nuts and bolts here. So you guys are sitting here in early 2019 um, you've crash hacked your way uh, into your new Corolla. Your house hacking, and what, what's going on? And, and what's going on with the savings? And ha- why do you choose now to begin applying the savings towards debt as opposed to making the next investment? What's your logic there? Yeah. So I, our goal, our going into it was we, we want to be debt free. Um, and the reason that we went, we prioritized house hacking in the beginning was we felt like that would be the best the best lever that we could pull, right? So like earn more, spend less, invest the difference is our income. We couldn't really, you know, elevate that much. So by house hacking, that lowered our expenses and that we felt like would accelerate our ability to pay off debt. Um, And so we closed on the duplex December of 2018 and then January 1, 2019, one, we got that first rent check. We had never gotten a rent check before and that was life-changing money right there too. Um, but really, we were like, we're just going to buckle down for 2019. And we had, because our housing was so cheap and our we had no car payments, um, we were saving now probably in that like 53 to 54% in terms of savings rate. So all of that extra income that we that had now between our income and expenses, we just started making big lump sum payments on our student loans. Awesome. So what's your position at closing um, 2019? Uh, so we had paid off. Well, yeah. So we paid off just over fifty thousand dollars in student loans. I paid off my student loans. Allie's was a little bit higher because she still had her, she'd taken on a master's degree. Um, so we were just about fifty one thousand um, dollars going into twenty nine or going into twenty twenty. Um, the property had actually appreciated quite a bit because, like so many housing markets, um, you know, our housing market is no different. So there was a lot of appreciation going on there. The rental income had gone up because we got a new tenant. I was still jamming out to podcasts every single day. So I was really understanding real estate and finance better. Was your income going up with the, uh, you, you got a $6,000 raise, 
uh, alley, but was your income going up from your entrepreneurial activities? It was. And then, you know, like what is the, um, uh, the sequence of returns risk. So my income or not, not sequence of returns risk, the, the law of diminishing returns. So my income started going up, but very quickly I started finding myself getting back into 2017 Josh mode of, I'm just going to work all the time. My income was going up, but my quality of life was going down. And I created this business, not as a means of just making money, but I wanted it to make a comfortable living. But really, I wanted more time with Allie, especially 2019 was our first year as newlyweds. You know, I wanted it to be enjoyable. So I actually made a real abrupt pivot in my business. Um, and again, this is where like the confidence of having such a high savings rate because of low cost of living gave me is my income was going up, but really my focus became, instead of just trying to amplify my income, how can I make a comparable income by working half the time? Love it. And so, okay. So I, this is a great mentality. What happens in 2020? <laughs> So nothing, Scott. It was a plain old regular year. Yeah. Uh, we're feeling on top of the world. Yeah. We're real estate investors. We've paid off 50 grand in student loans. 2020 is our year. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm sensing a trend because every time we say like it's our year, like what Josh gets laid off, our world crumbles, yeah. and now 2020 is our year and there's a global pandemic. So, um, you know, all intentions to continue to pay down that debt, um, you know, to get another property, but we kind of hunkered down for the first chunk of 2020 because Josh's income was pretty greatly impacted by COVID. Yeah. So my income in probably like March or April, when everything really shut down, uh, really was cut in half. But prior to that, January and February, again, like all, all systems go. We, we paid off almost $11,000 between January and February. We figured, you know what we're going to do? We are going to spend the first half of the year. This is before everything happened. We're going to spend the first half of the year crushing student loan debt. And then around June, we're going to start slowing down a little bit and we're going to start raising cash so that maybe in the second half of 2020, uh, we'll try to buy a duplex and get our second house act, um, and then basically rinse and repeat in 2021. And then also everything's going to go perfectly. And by the end of 2021, we will be debt-free in two house hacks, have four units, and almost financially free. So what was your cash position um, heading into this? So you're paying off debt. How do you kind of think about how much cash to have on hand in your emergency reserve and those types of things while you're aggressively prepaying debt? Yeah, great question. So um, we typically hover, uh, and, and I know this is a little bit skinny, but we stay pretty close to like that three months cash reserve. Some people are a little bit more ambitious and they like the six, the nine, the 12 months. For us, because, uh, because we felt confident in our earning potential, especially my business, I was able to pivot to like virtual, which was prior, it had just been like a cool little idea, but now a lot of it's virtual. Our savings rate also felt, I mean, so we were now starting to ramp up closer to that like 65, 70% savings rate. That felt like a really nice buffer in terms of like almost like an emergency fund that in and of itself. So instead of having a lot of cash, we were going to shift to probably six to nine months closer to the end of the year. But in the beginning of the year, we had a high savings rate. We wanted three months of cash in case anything happened, which things happened. I just want to point out that that you make a great point here if you're listening and you missed it. The less you spend, 
or the bigger the gap between your income and your expenses, the less emergency fund do you need, yeah. paradoxically. And the easier it is to accumulate that emergency fund. Yeah, if you spend a lot or close to your income, that's when it becomes even more important to have the emergency fund and it's harder to accumulate and takes longer. So anyways, just want to point that out. And um, I'm interested to see how that how that dynamic and your mentality in there uh, helped you, probably didn't hurt you, uh, as the pandemic begins. Yeah. No, honestly, I mean, it helped a ton. You know, hindsight was a little 2020 in March and April because we were probably like, man, it would have been nice to... Get it? 2020? Nice job. Uh, oh, did I make <laughs> he didn't it even know he an inadvertent pun? Right. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear it when you listen to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, so when everything shut down, I think we were kind of like, man, it would have been nice if we, you know, held on to that cash a little bit. But at the time, we were like, we were also really happy to have paid off the student loans. And I got to tell you, like, that time from, say, like, March to, like, May or June, in in a weird way, it kind of gave us, like, a dry run of five, if that makes sense. Like, we were together pretty much all the time. Life got really slow and quiet for a while. And it gave us, because 2019, I'm we're going gangbusters, we're working a lot, we're paying off debt, so on and so forth. And that gave us a time to almost hit pause and kind of reflect on, okay, what are we doing why are we why are we doing this and is it working are we happy are we still are we still working towards that why and and it was actually kind of a really interesting time in our marriage so when you bought this house what condition was it in oh it was turnkey the first house or the second house the first house we haven't gotten to the second house yet <laughs> yeah no honestly like you could not have cherry picked a better first house act um, okay yeah, it was the couple, again, the couple we bought it from house, started house hacking like seven or eight years prior to us buying it. They were a young couple taking the world by storm. Um, they had a child and they're like, okay, like we can still house hack more with one child. They had a second child and they're like, no, okay, like house hacking, we're, we're good on that. But because they had put so much time and money into it, they really didn't want to just have it go to the highest and best. They, they specifically wanted to sell to people who they could relate to. And so there was some cool intervention there. When our agent introduced us to them, we were like, man, you guys are us in like seven or eight years. Like, it's so cool. But um, yeah, it was in great shape. Okay. And the I, reason I that, that I asked that is because I don't want you to have three months of expenses or three-month emergency fund and you bought a dump that needs yeah. a lot of work yeah. and then there's a pandemic. So yeah. I just wanted to point that out that that was in good shape. I'm glad. Sorry, Scott, I, go ahead. I bet they would have increased their emergency fund though if that was the case yeah. and, that, and the condition of their house warranted that. It's just as a, Well, yes, they would have, but maybe somebody listening was like, oh, Josh and Allie only had three months. So therefore yeah. I only need to have three months. That's and better. not if you're buying a dump. You need oh. a lot, a lot, a lot of extra money. Okay, okay. So, so you guys are having a, uh, a sit back and reassess period and you're experiencing a taste of, of, of fire, what you yeah. imagine fire fi life to be like. What happens next? We're, we're in the summer, it sounds like, of 2020. Yep. Yeah, so uh, summer 2020, Josh is like, Allie, I think we should buy our second house sack. And what I'm about to say, I think in relationships, it's really important to have balance. Yeah. So Josh is like the go, go, go person in our relationship. Like he's always thinking of the next plan. And I would describe myself as like the whoa, whoa, whoa person. So like Josh is like, let's go get that house hack. And I'm like, hold on. I really like where we are. I'm comfortable. We're, we're in a good situation. So again, it's finding that, that compromise. Um, but we ended up 
you know, looking at some properties and getting our feet wet with it. And then it's like, okay, I think we can do this again. We should do this again. So at that point too, so I network a ton, right? And I'm always trying to learn more and and provide value any way that I can. And so uh, 2019 also gave me a really, really good chance to start attending like like Facebook group meetups, real estate meetups, get coffee with other investors and learn a ton. And so I started parlaying a lot more of those skills into 2020. And so um, again, like so many housing markets, um, our area was crazy competitive. There was a lot of out of town buyers, things for selling for less than 20, you know, or in cash less than 24 hours. So, um, so we decided that if we were going to stand a chance to buy a property, we're, we were really going to have to find something off market. And so we had met another uh, real estate investor in our area, probably um, sometime in 2019. And he was actually in the same neighborhood as our first house hack. Um, we told him, you know, we admire your property. You know, this is who we are. This is what we do. If you ever think about selling. And he was like pretty adamant, like, nope, love the property. Never going to sell. Great. Okay. Well, if anything changes, we live up five houses up the street. And then actually in May of 2020, we were renovating our, our upstairs unit to have a new tenant move in. Allie was out there, she was painting and stuff. And the, the investor kind of walked up and kind of admired like the work that we were doing. And so I saw him through the window and I was like, oh shoot, that guy. So I came out and, uh, you know, put on my sales cap and I said, hey, you know, oh yeah, we're renovating. Man, we really love this neighborhood. You still got that property? And he's like, yeah, probably still not going to sell. So we're like, okay. And then, uh, in uh, July of 2020, uh, we went on Facebook and a neighborhood Facebook group, and I knew he was a part of it. So I said, you know what? I'll take one last chance. And I posted in that Facebook group, hey, everybody, uh, you know, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. If anybody in the neighborhood might be interested in selling, uh, let us know. And he shot us a message shortly thereafter. His situation had changed, and he wanted to talk about selling. And it's funny sometimes, yeah, I've noticed this in my, my life and I've, I've read this across a couple of other things, but it seems like sometimes when you have your eye on that one property, you know, it just ends up in your possession one yeah. day somehow, if that's like, if, if you're thinking about it, not always, but you know, not with every, but like, it's interesting how that kind of works. So I'm, I'm it's fascinating that you were just like, oh yeah, I've got that, that one in mind and I'm just going to keep playing my little game yep. <laughs> until, until that comes in under there. So walk us through the numbers on this property. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and this was uh, our first. Our first duplex was off market, but we did have the benefit of a realtor, and that realtor was a very good realtor with the heart of an educator, and he walked us through step by step. This is these are the forms. This is why there's these forms, so on and so forth. For this particular property, the um, it was a for sale by owner. The owner had no interest in involving realtors. He just wanted our attorneys. And so this was a really steep learning curve for us um, in terms of actually handling the transaction um, almost entirely. So we were getting the forms from our attorney. We were walking down to their house. We were filling out the forms together. We were figuring out how to negotiate a price and so on and so forth. And so we ended up purchasing the property for $152,000. Uh, with, <laughs> and I say that because there was a $2,000 seller concession in there, again, to help offset some of the closing costs. We felt very confident the property would appraise more for that, but the seller was really adamant that was his price. And we were trying to be as accommodating. Our, our big thing right now is we want to solve other you know, investors' challenges. 
um, because we can't compete with like cash offers and stuff. And so um, it was 152,000. We used an FHA on this property. So three and a half percent down between the down payment, closing costs and any other fees all in, it was $13,200. And then we were uh, pleasantly surprised when the appraisal actually came in just a little bit south of 169. So right there, you know, we're getting a house for 150 and it appraised for 169. So that was pretty cool too. And, and the property, the condition of this property was a lot different uh, than our first property. And I don't, if this was our first duplex, the one we're in right now, it probably would have been harder to sell to Allie. I'm actually really glad that our first duplex up the street was a, a lot nicer because it was kind of like dipping her toes in the water of real estate. Um, the one we're in right now is is kind of like more of like a burr hack, if you will. Like we're renovating, like Mindy, I know you do like live-in flips. And this is like a very mini live-in flip. Like we're renovating the unit that we occupy pretty much inside and out. And so while living here, so the total mortgage on this is $1,280 a month. Um, the upstairs is rented for $975. And then the unit that we were living in prior, we actually rented out for $1,350. So how long did you live in this house? The first property we moved in in December of 2018. And oh, we moved- I'm sorry, you, were, you rented out the property? The first they're still, property. They're for still 13. in this house, the second house. You're yeah, in the second. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood it. I was like, wait, you just bought that. You have to live there for a year. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. a lot of um, things that you have said that I think other people may not be super familiar with. You used an FHA loan, which is a federal program that allows you to put only 3.5% down, but it has to be a residence. You can't do that on a an investment property. And right. because you're living in there, and you have to live there for a year. Because you're living there for a year, you get the benefit of this 3.5. I do want to point out, because this is a point of uh, confusion for some people, if you were to move out after living there for a year, you don't have to refinance. You can still have only a 3.5% down and keep that mortgage and then go find something else. I don't know if you can have two FHA, you can't have two FHA no. loans at the same time in the same area. If you got transferred more than 50 or 100 miles away, then you could get another FHA loan. Um, so just FYI for that, but there's, there's a lot of benefits to this house hacking in that you can have a really low down payment. And, and go walk through the numbers one more time. The pity is what, and the rent is what on the second 12, one? 1280 all in and 975 upstairs. That's great. So, so what's the situation at present right now? You're, you've got the, you've got the almost, you're living for even cheaper now. Yeah. You've got rent from the first place. Yeah. And so how much debt are we paying off in the second half of 2020? And what's the what's the current situation? Yeah. So we um, finally hit our live for free goal with this house hack. So the ca- after like you back out reserves and whatnot for that property in terms of operational costs and savings, um, we are living for free with this unit. So that is really cool. Like Josh said, this property is not in the same condition that our prior property was in. So we had a lot of capital improvements on this property. We just ripped out the entire kitchen in our unit. We got some new appliances. We did new cabinets. Um, we had Wait, to when you say we're doing it, are you guys doing it? No. We're doing some okay. work, but we've hired out for a bit. Yeah. So okay. we hired a company to do the kitchen. Um, we replaced some of the flooring. And this was a... Nice surprise. We knew that some of the windows needed to be replaced, but all of like 
pretty much all of the windows needed to be replaced. Windows are more expensive than we thought they were. Yeah. So that was a really, really good learning opportunity. I'm not going to call it a mistake because I think that we've learned a lot. And every other property that we buy in the future, I am going to meticulously yeah. inspect the windows. So in the next few weeks, that's going to happen. So really, we have kind of hit a pause on debt pay down because we have been using our extra money to stabilize this house and get it in a position where it needs to be. But I should say, though, that in 2021, we have now resumed uh, paying student loans. Yeah. So yeah, so we were heavily focused on in beginning. This is your year. Yeah, right. Don't, <laughs> don't say that. Oh, sorry. Don't yeah. say it. Yeah. Uh, this is our year. No. Um, uh, well, in, in, in full honesty, I mean, if, if we're able to, to execute some of the plans that we have, you know, this very well could be the year that we become debt free, which is be really cool. Originally, we had shot for like four years to pay off one hundred and two thousand. Um, this would be like year three. So but we also are mindful of there's a lot of stuff going on right now. So we're also like we're carrying a little bit more cash. We're still in that three to four month range. But we now know what happened in like February, March of last year. So we're kind of kind of going to wait to see. But yeah, so uh, and what's cool is because we bought the property with so much equity and there is that value add component, I think the seasoning period on this is like six or seven months. And so depending on where the market is at that point, we may look to refi out of this FHA, uh, put it into a conventional loan product, which then gives us access to another FHA. And then we would be looking potentially for a third house act. Mm -hmm. So you guys are rocking and rolling here. And you're going to, I think I, it sounds like there's always things that can happen and, and uh, you know, probably more things will happen. But in a couple of years, you're going to be sitting pretty with a small rental portfolio here, debt-free and a, a significant ability to generate cash yep. with what seems like a sustainable work balance between yeah. the two of you. Oh, is that, very much is that so. kind of a... Nice. And then I think it will be this boring uh, several year slog to FI after that. But that's a pretty good situation to be in. So how do you feel about all this now, having made this journey and, and being in your, your present state? You know, it's funny. I think like when you're in the thick of it, like the mundane Wednesdays, sometimes I feel incredibly unimpressive and just like, it is what it is. We have to do these windows. We have to do that. But we try to push that perspective away and just focus on like where we were when we started this. Yeah. Um, we did not have the financial knowledge that we have now. Our, our goals and dreams were so different. And I look at us and honestly, I just feel so much pride for all that we've accomplished. I feel proud of us and like the sacrifices that we've made and the hard decisions we've made and the are you sure you guys really want to do this? That sounds kind of crazy. And like pushing through all of that. And I think that that's huge. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't be more excited yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, um, it's one of those things. You got the where Corolla and the house. Hack. I, two house hacks though. <laughs> yeah. That's really right. Two house hacks though. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, like Scott, you were, you were saying something earlier about like when you visualize something and I, so I played sports all of my life. And so I was always about like visualizing the thing long in advance before the match or the game or the competition. And then when you, when you compete and you achieve it, it's like, it's a natural byproduct because you've put so much time and energy into preparation. And so like, I'm feeling really, really excited because I have spent more time than I'm proud to admit between forums and podcasts and books. And I'm excited to see where we are, 
But in a way, I also feel like, well, like if you follow a roadmap, it says, if you follow these steps, it'll get you to here. I have listened to so many smarter and more successful people share their stories and doing, if you follow this process, you will get to where we are. So in a way, I I feel really excited, but I'm also like, this makes sense because all these really smart people said, this is what would happen. Now, do you have any peers that were in a similar situation to you around when you got married that you're, you know, generally aware of? And are you seeing a difference there? Or, you know, is there anything, because you've made a radically different set of choices, I'm, I'm sure, than many of your friends and family. But do you have any, like, do you have any thoughts on that, whether there's a, a different outcome or, or, or thoughts around how not making those choices might have impacted you or where folks are there? Yeah, I think that when we first started this journey, the only friends that we had doing this were friends on bigger pockets forums and podcasts and people that we heard about. We were definitely the weird friends that were making this really radical choice. And and uh, I think that's how it was perceived by many. And I think that now that we are sharing more of our journey online through the Phi Couple and we're having more open conversations with people around us, people are seeing the progress that we're making and the success. So we're a little less weird now. And I think yeah. over the past few years, we've really built our community of people locally and across the country that are on this journey too. So that is cool to connect with people as well. And and I think it's one of those things like it's as old as time. Like at first when you're doing something different, people are going to say you're crazy. And then eventually when you're doing it and then you start maybe having some success, people are going to say, well, how did you do that? And, you know, we we're still very much like on the path to FI and we still have another $50,000 student loans to pay off. And, you know, like we have a lot of work to do, but just in the, you know, little over two years of this path, I mean, we have completely transformed our lives. And there are now people who are starting to kind of come to us, both people who we know and then people from, you know, reaches of the country we've never even visited. And um, they're starting to ask questions. And, and it's really, really fun because, again, like I've always been someone who's been too happy to give answers in other areas. And it's exciting to have people now coming to us and I get to answer questions. And one more thing, and I I know it's hard when you have two people talking because there's a lot of dialogue, but, um, and it's super cheesy, but I have to say like when you are in the thralls of not making huge salaries and being entrenched by debt, it can be really demoralizing. And it's hard to think of the big picture and to dream because you're in the day-to-day trying to make it work. And I think that's something that so many Americans are struggling with and working through and that's reality. And I have to say that like my biggest takeaway with like real estate investing, house hacking, the pursuit of FI, I feel like for the first time in my adult life, I am actually dreaming like big dreams, big, scary, exciting dreams. And I think like somewhere along the line, like people forget to dream. And I think maybe it's like beaten out of us a little bit or life hardens us in some way. But I feel like we are like dreaming and we're dreaming big. And that has been like, huge for us. So. Yeah. It's weird. You're like, oh, I want to get out of debt and just kind of build a little bit of private wealth and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then you're like, huh, you know, like if I keep doing this, I could live there yeah. one day and I could not do anything or yeah. I could do this, this particular business venture or I could, I, like literally the world is big and I can go out there and I, can, I could do this from Maui, like Brandon, you know, yeah. I could do this from uh, Thailand, I could do it from New Zealand, I could do it from whatever. And so like, that's, that picture is not available in the $100,000 hole when $100,000 is an unimaginable amount of liquidity 
that you have that is just like that's a completely but that's a ridiculous statement. But then the itch begins to begins ticking. Um, and around the, about this time in the journey, I think when you're like, you know what, like the rate of wealth accumulation could yeah. be fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year in a realistic sense. If we have a good year. Right. You know, if you have a bad year, it won't be. But if we have a good year, it could be there. And then, what is that? What are the implications of that? If I sustain that for a couple mm-hmm. of years, I, I think it's I think it's awesome. So it's super exciting. This has been phenomenal. I had a blast. We went way over, which is great. <laughs> Too bad if you're listening. This was fun. We had a great yeah. time. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Their story was worth it. Mindy, should we do the financial scan though? Yes, we should. Although I think our financial scan this time is going to be a little bit shorter because we've kind of already talked about it. But hey, Ali and Josh, where are you putting your money to grow for your future? Besides yeah. real estate, because you already have real estate. But what percentage of your total financial uh, picture is in real estate? And then what percentage is in anything else? Yeah. So right now we are very heavy uh, real estate. We're about 90% of our total uh, assets are in real estate. And um, a lot of that is just because the other, the available cash flow that we would be putting into index funds um, right now, we're just putting into to student loans. So about 90% real estate. We do, we do have a, a brokerage account with uh, just, you know, uh, VOO and, and some other, you know, boring index funds. Um, that's about seven percent of our total portfolio right now. Uh, the rest is cash, so probably about three percent. You know, and really, our goal—maybe uh, we're pretty pretty happy right now in terms of where our real estate portfolio is. We have no real ambition of having like you know hundreds of units or anything like that. Once our debts really paid off, we're going to be looking to make sure that portfolio is a little bit more balanced and really kind of going more in the um, you know the index funds. Yeah, and I just want to, come to chime in here and say like that's not diversified, and that's intentional. I bet. Yeah. Because oh yeah, it's not an accident. <laughs> you don't dig yourself out of a hundred thousand dollar hole by guaranteeing yourself a diversified seven percent return, sure. right? And so, like, sorry, you're in a risky position, but you have to be, I think, in order to have a shot at a, have a crack at those at those goals. Like that could go yeah. south, but I, I I admire that, and I think like, hey, you're gonna make it work and figure it out if you can't. If you run out of cash, for example, or have something, you're just gonna you're gonna figure it out, and you have to do that at some point before you can build this like ideologically pure buy portfolio. Yeah, which, you know. So I just wanted to chime in there, and I think this is great. Yeah, thank you. Ideologically pure phi portfolio. There's the worst <laughs> phrase you've ever. It's a cult. On it's a cult, Mindy. <laughs> Everyone's got the index God. funds, the whatever. Yeah. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna get you a T-shirt that says "ideologically pure." Oh, no, that's not good. That's portfolio. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> Ask and, and, me about my ideologically pure five portfolio. Oh, you're the cash position of X, and yeah, so. <laughs> that, that's some bigger pocket swag you can there sell right there. Just coin there that go. phrase and put it on there. <laughs> now it's time for the famous four. Allie, what is your favorite finance book? I wasn't paid to say this. <laughs> <laughs> but I would argue that my and our favorite finance book is Set for Life, Set for Life. Yeah. by Scott right. Trench. You may have heard of him. Yeah. No, I haven't and, heard of him. <laughs> and, and just to be like fair and balanced, like if it wasn't that, honestly, um, J.L. Collins' uh, Simple Path to Wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's that that's really our thing, right? Is we are not looking to be all index funds or all real estate. We want to try to find that fair and balanced approach to it. And yeah, set for life and simple path. We you know keep it simple. Two wise authors there. What was your biggest <laughs> money mistake? 
Uh, um, yeah. honestly, uh, how much more time do you have on this podcast? First of all, but, uh, no, I'm joking. Honestly, our twenties, if I could like sum up our twenties, I think we went through a lot of those years really unaware and we weren't having smart money conversations and we weren't making good choices. And we look back and we're like, we see people starting out at 21, 22, you know, making these choices on this path. And I'm like, wow, like, we're 30. Like that would be really cool if we started this, not in our late twenties, but our early twenties. So, um, not a specific moment, but I think wishing that we started it sooner, but just to put a positive twist on it, we are where we are. We're making progress where we are and it's all going to work out. So, you know, despite that, we're going to hit our goals. Awesome. You guys are not behind. You're doing awesome. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I like that answer. It's so hard because like, in the general population, like we're, we're doing very well and it can be tempting sometimes like you get caught in like this very specific niche of the population of like super five people and stuff where 30 somehow becomes really old. And we always have to remind ourselves of that. Like it's okay that we're, you know, where we are right now and we're still doing really well. Absolutely. You guys are doing really well. And if you're starting out and you're listening and you're in a position of where Josh and Allie were when they started this journey and you know you're you're 33 35 40 45 you're not too late you can right. you can make these changes and build wealth and i'm telling you you started this journey 2 years ago yeah. you are not going to see a linear progression of your wealth most likely you're going to see once you get back to zero the benefits of exponential gains and the compounding that those investments can pay off. And I think you're going to see you reap some of the benefits of that unimaginable number of hours you spent consuming content around <laughs> this. I think that's going to affect your portfolio returns downstream yeah. and continue to contribute to that when you actually can do that on things that can generate that return. You're guaranteeing yourself a level of debt on the interest and you got to do it. But once you're past that, you're going to, I think, I think you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to see this. It's not going to be like this. It's no. going to, it's going to be a, a geometric curve. Yeah. Okay. Mindy. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? And you can each have your own advice. You don't have to agree on one. So for me, I would say figuring out your why, and it has to be a big why, and you have to really care about it because when you're, whether you're paying off debt or you're investing or you're pursuing FI, it is not like a smooth sailing, easy road. There are going to be challenges or there there are going to be things that test you. And I think when that happens, remembering your why and remembering the big reason why you're pursuing this, because at the end of the day, that's what gets you through the hard time. So just figure that out and stick to it. Yeah. And I mean, I would, I would absolutely second that. And, um, I would also say like the knowledge and know-how to achieve whatever goals it's all out there and it's free. And, you know, so whatever it is a person wants to do, like we, no one in our life, like growing up, no one taught this kind of stuff to us and no one talked to us about this kind of stuff. But instead of saying like, what was me? No one taught me this kind of stuff. We said, well, let's find out because other people are doing it. So I would just say like, if there's something that you want to learn more about, just go on like, you know, like Google that thing and just like ask whatever question you want to know and then just start equipping yourself with knowledge. And then from there, start connecting with people on Facebook and forums and stuff like that and ask a lot of questions, get a lot of answers and then eventually start answering them yourselves and 
to me, like that's been like the best resource. Awesome. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? All right. I am super excited. So <laughs> full, dis- full disclosure, like we are not like joke telling people. We just try to have conversations and if something funny happens, it does. But um, all right. So I'm going to ask it and I'm curious to see what you guys think. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? My husband is obsessed with dinosaurs, so I know the answer to this one. All right. As long as I stump Scott, I'm happy as heck. Uh, something with fossilized. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I You can't hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom because the pee is silent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is not where I thought you were going with that. Uh, all right. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Where, can, where can people find out more about you guys? You can find out about us on uh, Instagram. We have an Instagram account called The Phi Couple. We have a website, thephicouple.com. And uh, we have a Twitter too, the, ha- the handle The Phi Couple. Nice. And. They're all over the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast yes. uh, Facebook group as well, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Allie, are and you in there? Yeah, I she, think I'm in there. She might, she might be. Um, I'm I, not as active as Josh, but like he sets the bar so high. Yeah. Like, I was going to say nobody's active as Josh. Nobody's as active as Josh. Maybe no, me. I, 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 live, I live in those forums. And I will say, I love, I love your Instagram content and all that kind of stuff. And we actually just did a uh, Facebook live recently um, on there. That was really fun. So thank you for inviting me uh, over there. Yeah. No, Instagram that was live. <laughs> That's right. You said Facebook live. Instagram live, whatever. There's the the kids are on these days. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, guys, hard. this was an amazing show. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for bearing with us as we went way, way long, but I think it was worth every minute. Um, phenomenal story. So wonderful to hear your successes so far. And I'm really excited to watch your journey over the next couple of years. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on the show, maybe, maybe uh, once or twice over the next couple of years to hear about the next movements in your journey. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, like I said, like this is a dream come true. And I mean, you guys help millions and millions of people every single day, and and we are proof of that. I mean, bigger pockets in general changed our lives completely. It's pretty like full circle because like a few years ago when we first started our journey, we were listening to Bigger Pockets, and yeah. I'm like, what? I'm like on a Bigger Pockets podcast. Like I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing something right because I feel really cool right now. So very that, cool. uh, very, very sorry, cool. this it's this fine. is all it is. This is all it is. <laughs> so I yeah, feel cool too. Again. Yeah, no, you guys are awesome. Keep it up. No, thank you, guys. Well, thank you. As much as I would love to hear you continue to tell us how great we are, <laughs> we will have to say goodbye. But you can call me all the time and tell me how great I am. And Scott's <laughs> phone number is... Oof. Yeah. <laughs> we had somebody give their phone number out on the podcast once, not on oh, our show, no. on the, the real estate show. Oh, okay. Um, he was an attorney. He's like, call me anytime. And I'm like... Did you just give out your actual phone number? You are going to be slammed with calls. But hey, works out for him. Um, Yes. So Josh and Allie, thank you for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed your story. And I think that, you know, anybody who's listening, you're 50 years old, you can still listen to this episode and say, wow, it didn't take that long to get out of debt. They were conscious about it. They did it. They pushed through. They moved on. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned at 
any age that you're listening to this. So I hope that people are able to get as much out of it as I did. I had a great time. Thank you guys so much. This is a huge honor. Thank you. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. That was Josh and Allie from The Fi Couple. Scott, what did you think of the show? I know what you thought I of the show. It. You loved it. You thought it was yeah. the best. It was the best. I it did. was it so was much the best. fun. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, well, no need for my, you know, for me to no talk need to for, you. I don't need you for this conversation. I can have it all by myself. No, look, I love it. It's, it, it's the dynamic of the, the, he's obsessed. I can completely relate. You go through this journey <laughs> when you're going, when you're, when you're thinking about this and you're just surrounded by the voices in your head, which is kind of weird because maybe I'm one for Josh, you know, uh, uh, now. And, and that was my dynamic going through that and listening to Brandon and Josh Dorkin and, uh, you know, reading Mr. Money Mustache, listening to the mad scientists and all those things on my journey, that same obsession uh, was there. And like, I can only imagine if I had a wife at the time, how annoying I would have been to my wife. And you know, <laughs> I was just there and it was just great. It was like, it was like, it was, it, like, I just loved seeing that dynamic at play. And I think that Wow! Look at them go! Look, they—they're doing it. They're—they've got the Corolla and the house hack, uh, and life is good. <laughs> they've made it, and and I think that they're—I like—they're going to be so successful over the next couple of years. They're going to dig themselves out of that debt, I bet, and then they're going to be off to the races financially. I'll be shocked if that doesn't happen. The way that they're approaching their finances. Yeah, they're just making really smart decisions, and I. I love the way that they tell their story. They fully embrace the fact that there were. Uh, mistakes they made in the past and going forward, they're going to be better. And they're taking steps and learning from their mistakes. Josh was trying to force Allie into it. And I think it's really impressive that at his young age, he was able to say, whoa, I'm not approaching this right. And it's it's hard when you're so excited about something to be like, no, no, just listen, just listen. I'm right. Just listen to me. And he's like, ooh, ooh, I have to speak her language. And I think that was Kind of a brilliant. We kind of glossed over that, but that's a brilliant take on that. Absolutely, I think that's a that's going to be a challenge for a lot of folks because most. I would imagine that there's it's the rare couple that is equally obsessed with Phi, right? There's always going to be one that is a little bit more intense about it, and I think that that's a huge lesson and a huge reality that if you want to want to achieve this and ha- and get the most out of life and move, build your financial position, you've got to be on the same page and. You know, your complete gung ho moving into the dumpy basement duplex in the uh, the up and coming neighborhood may not be the right approach for your family and those types of things if you're looking about it. And so I think that they've got that how they worked it out, I think was just so wonderful. And I just, I'm excited to see where they go. I'm really excited for them too. I think there's big things in their future. Uh, Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 167 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen. Girl Scout cookie season is coming up. I'm the cookie mom for our Girl Scout troop, so I will end today's episode with peace out, Girl Scout.
Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. 